welcome to Wobblies and Wizards. I'm your host, Loga the Barbarian. And I'm joined today by a special guest, Raphael. Raphael goes by Games Garden on Twitter and online and has a Kickstarter out right now called Lucid Sea of Dreams. Welcome, Raphael. Thank you so much for having me. It's good to have you. So I think my first question I'm going to ask you is can you tell what can you tell us about Lucid Sea of Dreams, the Kickstarter that's going on right now? All right. Well, before I jump too much into it, let me just give you the nice, short, and sweet pitch. That's excellent. That's a good thing. Yeah. Lucid Sea of Dreams is a rules light, hackable role playing game about lucid dreaming, inspired by dreams, nightmares, Jewish folklore, and much more. There's a lot of a lot of things to unpack there. Yeah, there's a lot of things to unpack there. I'm sure. a big fan of rules like games. I've been playing these games for well over 30 years now, since like the late 80s, and I've done a lot of really complicated games. So when I pick up a game mm-hmm. and I see these big books and I'm like, oh, I got to read through a whole new thing and learn another system. I'm like, oh, if I pick up something I'm like, oh, this is pretty quick to catch on. I'm more inclined to try to run it. <laughs> Oh, absolutely. I mean, as a game master, absolutely. Like you see something that's real crunchy and like, oh no, <laughs> I'll tell you when I get the chance to play a crunchy game and I can just sit there and ask, say, okay, please just tell me what to do. Like, let me do the things and I'll just do my best. Like, oh, that's lovely. Oh, we had this conversation just recently. We played, I played, oh, is it? I played, and I think this is an internet conversation not on the blog, but I played mm-hmm. in a, a Starfinder campaign. I look at that book and I don't want to run it. Like, it's just, mm-hmm. I played, I ran Pathfinder. It's a lot. And, and it's a lot like Pathfinder in a lot of ways. And it's a bit much for me mm-hmm. to run. But, you know, I, I got in there and I made this little mouse guy, a little mouse alien feller. And he was what? a mechanic. And he had a droid, this little floaty droid that followed him around. So I had Biscuit and Bucket. And I had so much fun with that character. I loved the game. You know, he had a very Rocket Raccoon vibe and all. Great game, but I don't want to run it. <laughs> I'll play it anyway. I mean, I hear that. One of my intros into role-playing games, period, was this. um, So I'm from Oakland, California, the Bay Area, originally. And there's this, I think it's still running, called the Role-Play Workshop. Mm -hmm. And so this teacher, um, educator Rebecca Thomas, basically created her own role-playing game 20, 30 years ago. Oh, that's cool. That was sort of a cyberpunk meets shadow run level of crunch like those were her main inspirations and then ran it as a camp for 10 year olds <laughs> that's cool yeah it was like intentionally difficult to parse because it's like <laughs> oh it's educational if you have to add all these things and multiply this you're doing numbers uh it was tons of fun but oh lord crunchy you gotta oh. learn you gotta learn so mm-hmm. i want to Going to Lucid Sea of Dreams, there's a few things here now I want to unpack. Number one, we mentioned it was rules light. What is that rule system like? Okay, so we don't have any classes. We don't have any skills. What we got are a tri-stat system that really meets the dream aspect of the game. Uh, We got what we call intuition, resistance, and influence. So just three stats. Intuition, resistance, and influence. That's right. Okay. Intuition is what you use to gather information. Yes. Right. It's your information. Uh, it works for initiative. It works for gathering information. That's your ability to really grok what's going on in the collective consciousness of the sea of dreams. 
uh, to tap into that intuitive part of yourself or, you know, just read things. Yes. Uh, and it's also, you know, Googling stuff. <laughs> uh, it, it covers everything. It's, you know, some resistance is, you know, in the sea of dreams, it's what your skill to sort of protect yourself from influence. So it's really your defensive stat. Oh, so when you when you go into these stats, um, what are we are we rolling? Is it a point by and how how do they work with the mechanic of playing the game? Oh, for sure. Um, so we use a simple dice pool system. Uh, kind of, I looked at Mage and you know Wizards uh, World of Darkness games and said, "Oh yeah, that's really cool. That's really hard. Let me just shave it down." Um, so basically you're rolling 1d10 per uh, point that you have in the attribute. And then if you use your items or if something situationally can contribute, then the GM can say, oh yeah, you can add one or two dice to your pool. Okay. And so that's how things are determined. That works. Now, yeah. two other aspects I'd like to touch on today. Number one, I'm curious about Jewish folklore because that's something I don't know a whole lot about. I've picked up a few things from a few movies and a few books and all, but could you tell us what maybe what elements to expect of Jewish folklore or how that influenced this and a little more insight on that? Yeah, well, let me start talking about, uh, start with sort of the consideration and influence. You know, um, when I was growing up, there were stories that featured Jewish heroes or, you know, Jewish folklore stories, but a lot of them were really old, you know, like actual folk tales of, or tales for kids. There wasn't any of that, you know, Harry Potter or uh, Narnia or any of that stuff yes. that really was pulling from our lore, you know. So I've been thinking for actually a real long time being like, oh, I wish, I wish we had more of that, you know, and there has been some people here and there who made some nice stuff. Yeah. But one of the holdups for me is that, you know, Judaism is a pretty law heavy religion. There's a lot of laws. There's a prohibition on magics, a lot of different kinds of magic. So how do you square that up against wanting to have a fantasy game? Well, I thought, oh, dreams, right? Mm -hmm. It's okay. all a dream anyway. You know, things that are happening in the dream, that's, you know, that's legit. That's not messing with anything. So in terms of the folklore aspects we're pulling on, I included so far these beings called mazikim, mm -hmm. uh, which are, you know, from the folklore, these kind of uh, destructive and harmful creatures, you know, spirits or some type. So I've sort of put a twist on that. Oh, what can mazikim be in the Sea of Dreams? They're creatures that are keyed to a certain type of emotion. Okay. So they'll go into your dream and find your sadness and perpetuate it, you know. And how do you deal with those? Well, you got to go in and how would you fight sadness? I don't know, with hot chocolate or something. <laughs> right? That sounds good to me. I'll take some. Yeah. Right. I'm a hot coffee. I'm a morning coffee. Mm -hmm. So we got the mazikim or those. They're sort of presented as being kind of mindless, more animalistic, because we don't really have that big split of like ultimate good and ultimate evil. It's just all sort of everything. So the other creatures we got are one of my favorite is the Shamir worm. The Shamir worm? Yeah. What is the Shamir worm and what does it do? So there's this tale that like King Solomon tricked this guy Ashmadai into getting this little worm that was rumored to be able to kind of bite through anything or destroy anything with its touch and used it to create uh, the temple way back. This is like a, you know, 
folk story. Yeah. So I thought, okay, a worm that can bite through anything. That's pretty dope. That is cool. Right? That's pretty metal. It's going to definitely eat your armor. Yeah. <laughs> I put them as like, oh, they can be these big, you know, in the, in the folklore, they're real small. So maybe the babies are small, but, you know, they can grow and just chew through dreams. Ah, uh-huh, like cool. You know, break through the whole thing. And that's how you get ideas scattered all over the unconscious. Oh, that's cool. Now, we had talked a moment uh, about education because you're an educator as well. That's right. So does gaming and education intersect for you at all? Oh, absolutely. I mean, it was absolutely a consideration when I was making this game. Um, You know, I I play tested it with my adult friends because I want it to be, you know, fun for people our ages. But I also used it um, and was thinking about it for my students, you know. I see a need for kids to be able to talk about their emotions and talk about how to deal with their emotions. Um, so I put in these mazikim that are all about emotions. Okay. And then also, you know, my role-playing games can be a really great tool for, you know, ESL students or EFL students. Uh, you know, I teach English in South Korea right now. I'm moving back to the U.S. in March. You know, it can be a great vocabulary building tool, get the kids excited. But, you know, if you're doing D&D, like, you don't want to teach yeah. <laughs> ESL students chain mail, right? <laughs> right. Uh, I don't need not. to know that. My my experience with gaming at school was the football coaches were into D and D, and one of my buddies would run a D and D game after school once a week, and we'd all get in there with a few of the kids and a few of the coaches, and had an A D and D campaign going on. That's nice. It was. I don't know how educational it was. They were into just wanting to kill monsters. <laughs> yeah, hey, I mean that's fun too, and we, you know. Mm-hmm. With the older folks, I do that, <laughs> you know, we just, <laughs> yeah. you know, I mean, I, I get a little bit of that. Um, what I usually like to do when I'm running it is have sort of, there's something happening in the waking world and something happening in the dream world and they're interconnected. Okay. Right. So the players, you know, they have their lives in the waking world and when they go to sleep, they're dreaming. So, you know, I have them sort of investigate some goings on in the waking world then they fall asleep find the connections in the dream you know the one shot that i'm trying to include that i'm writing up right now is about a kidnapping right so someone in the communities went missing and so they get investigating the waking world trying to find them uh, and then eventually go to that person's dream to try to figure out where they are so is that is that adventure there going to be part of the kicks of the game and the kickstarter itself? yeah that's, that's going to be, be included in there is that not a supplement or that's actually part in the, the how long how big of a how big of a final product is this plan to be <laughs> so it's going to be a 44 page plus cover so total 48 sides okay. uh a5 yes. zine yeah black a5 and white zine. Those, oh, that's my, those are my favorites. I love those. I like a good old fashioned yeah. black and white zine. I got plenty mm-hmm. of zines and I've been cranking those out forever. Yeah. So is this your, how many Kickstarter, have you done other previous Kickstarters or? I'm saying this is my debut. It's my <laughs> debut Kickstarter. So how's First that been? How's that been getting ready and, and, and getting things, getting just dipping your feet into it and figuring it out? You know, it's been wild. It's been wild. I will say I feel so lucky to have come into it at a time when the Zemo community is, you know, thriving. Yes. I've gotten so much advice from people who've gone through it before saying, oh, you need to consider this. Don't forget that, you know, paperweights and uh, (laughs) KS fees and all this stuff that's totally beyond my experience. I feel like, oh, wow. 
So, so lucky to have these more experienced people telling me what to be careful for, you know. So what are some of those that you need to watch out for? You can tell maybe our listeners who are thinking of like a lot. We got a lot of folks who are getting into putting out their own stuff and things like that who listen in the community. So what sort of things can you tell them that you discovered so far that some might not know and some might know? (laughs) Well, first, I'll tell you who I talked to. Okay. I talked to a guy named Matt Sanders in the UK, who I think is going to start doing consultations as a service at some point in the future. He said he has some interest in that. One of the most memorable pieces of advice uh, that he told me that I remember is um, consider ordering more than you think you're going to need, right? You know, my budget for the Kickstarter is 200 copies because, you know, I did the math. That's how many people I need to blah, blah, blah. And he said, you know, it's a lot cheaper and easier to just print more on your first run than, you know, sell out, not really have that many left, and then, you know, have to do a new print run. Yes. And then also keep some on hand (laughs) because don't get lost in the mail, right? Oh, yeah. I've definitely seen Mm -hmm. that happen a few times with some Kickstarters and heard of that as a a crisis moment for a few of them. sure. So I think it's, he, he recommended about 5%, 5 or 10% that you just order extra just in case some get lost in the mail. So yeah, it was a great piece. And then Orpheus Press, they do design consults on games. Oh, nice. Yeah, no, it was just all of the best advice. <laughs> you know, it's my first time, so people are being very nice to me. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but getting some real good advice of like, oh, consider moving this here, consider adding this. Like, oh, wow. Okay. Yo, I feel like I'm in good hands. You know, <laughs> That works. Well, we're coming close on time. If you could, I'd like it if you could tell our listeners where they can find you online, where they can find the Kickstarter and everything else so they can uh, check that out if they'd like to. Oh, for sure. So um, you can get me on Twitter, Games Garden or Falk Raphael at Twitter. We're at Falk Raphael, F-A-L-K-R-A-P-H-A-E-L. I have an itch page which is the Games Garden or the Games Gardener, both should be able to find it, um, where I have, you know, a at this point, two months out of date, work in progress version of the game up. Okay. You know, just a Ashcan version until yes. everything gets edited. Um, those are really the best ways. And, you know, feel free to get in touch if you've got any questions, thinking about supporting the game, but not sure, you know, shoot me a message. And... As always, if you've enjoyed what you've heard here today, please give us a positive review wherever you're listening. And those of you that have given us those positive reviews, I want to thank you very much. You can find us on Facebook. Just search Wobblies and Wizards. We're kind of active on there. I'm on Twitter at Logar Hale Crom. Here, we just started up recently a Patreon. It's a Patreon backslash Wobblies and Wizards spelled out. Any support you can give is, I'd be grateful for, you know, we've been putting this out of our own pocket, trying to get this going. So it would be helpful to, you know, not have to pay for it. (laughs) And outside of that, uh, keep those dice rolling.